My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am excited to be with you this morning. We are stepping back into the book of 2 Corinthians uh, today, and we're going to be in chapter 6. And if you've been tracking with us for a while, uh, we have been following uh, a journey that the Apostle Paul has been making with a particular church in the New Testament, uh, the church in the city called Corinth. And uh, Paul has uh, been a pastor to them. He has been a mentor to them. He has been a leader in their lives. Uh, he was the one who brought the good news of Jesus to the city of Corinth for the very first time. They received the gospel there. Uh, they, uh, they began a church there, began to worship Jesus and live for him there. Paul stayed for about nine months there with them, teaching them what it meant uh, to follow after Jesus. And after planting the church and being with them for those nine months, Paul continued on his missionary journey to continue spreading who Jesus is, the good news, the message of the gospel, all over the world, uh, continuing on his church planting efforts. And as he is out and about, he begins to hear some reports that uh, the Corinthians were really struggling to figure out what it meant to live a life uh, responding to the grace of the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul uh, writes a letter to them. Uh, they don't really receive that letter super well. The letter is very practical and instructive, trying to help them sort through some issues and conflict that they were experiencing in the church. And they got a little bit offended at Paul. They felt like Paul was boxing them in and trying to, uh, trying to control them, and, and they were a little bit frustrated with Paul. And so Paul followed up that letter with a visit, um, and that visit was awkward. You know, you ever uh, say that thing to your family member that you like, been, it's been building up for some years, and then finally, like over Thanksgiving dinner, it comes out, you know, and then it's really awkward and difficult and, and contentious, right? So this, this is kind of Paul, uh, making an effort to smooth things over, he goes back, spends some time in Corinth. They really don't, uh, don't make up. They really don't uh, receive Paul's visit very well. So he leaves kind of frustrated and sends a follow-up letter that we know now as the severe letter. So it gets rowdy, right? So Paul writes a letter, it's severe, and it's very corrective, uh, and, and he initially regrets writing the letter after it's sent off. Anybody ever sent that text message or email? Your Facebook post? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know for sure, right? You send it, you hit post, you're like, oh man, furious, frustrated, and you hit post, and you're like, oh no, right? What if someone sees that, right? And so Paul writes the severe letter, and initially he kind of regrets sending it, but then actually it's effective. And the Corinthians kind of see, they come to their senses, uh, they, they see the error of their ways, and they actually really respond and say, you're right, Paul, you're right. But there was still kind of a little bit of uh, frustration, a little bit of bruised and hurt feelings. And so Paul writes the third letter, which we know as the letter of 2 Corinthians, uh, to really help iron things out, uh, to patch up the relationship, and most importantly, to make sure that the Corinthians understand that it's not just uh, about the, the right and the wrong, the do's and the don'ts, and how we're supposed to behave but that we are actually meant to live in a way that is responding to the goodness of the grace of God in Jesus. So that's what 2 Corinthians is all about. In fact, Paul begins the book of 2 Corinthians by writing, grace and peace to you. Man, isn't it awesome that when we experience conflict, when we experience difficulty, how beautiful it is that we are free to extend grace and peace 
to one another because Jesus has extended grace and peace to us. So that's what the book of 2 Corinthians is all about. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been dealing uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the book of 2 Corinthians, since we've started this series, has become truly one of my favorite books of the Bible, perhaps my favorite book in the Bible. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But I get to preach chapter 6 today. Just kidding. It's been awesome to see um, what the Apostle Paul has been doing as he's been unfolding and unpacking the beauty and the nature of the gospel. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he kind of gets to this crescendo where he's saying, guys, I want you to understand, God is doing this monumental thing on planet Earth, and we are witnesses of this. We are recipients of this, and we are actually partners with him in this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul explains that we are as a human race, we are being reconciled to God because of the grace of Jesus, because of the good news of what Jesus did, that he came for us to save us, to make our relationship with God right again, and that God is reconciling the world to himself, and he is not counting our sins against us. How amazing is that? Paul unpacks this beautiful thing in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And then he goes a step further and says, not only is God reconciling us to himself, but now he's invited us to join with him in the ministry and with the message of reconciliation. That we're not simply just restored to God. We're, we're not simply just uh, made right with God, which would be amazing enough in, in itself. Am I right? Like, that's amazing in and of itself, knowing that we who were sinners and rebels who turned our backs against God, God has said, hey, I'm reconciling myself to you. Come. But not only has he done that, but he said, hey, now I want you to partner with me to go reconcile others. So incredible. And so Paul concludes this beautiful uh, crescendo in chapter 5 by giving us maybe one of the best synopses, one of the best short versions of the gospel, maybe uh, one of the best single verses that fully unpacks the beauty of the gospel as he ends chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. So I want to start us there so that we're picking up where we left off and we're going to launch into chapter 6. So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we're going to be in verse 21 before we go into ver uh, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the book of Acts. Then you have Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, and after that is 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5. Uh, the chapters are the big numbers, and then uh, verse 21, which is the small numbers. Uh, hey, you know, hey, we don't always know. You know, I mean, it's kind of, if you pick up the Bible for the very first time, it's like, what are these numbers? <laughs> you know? So there's all these like footnotes and stuff, but hey, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 21. So Paul, he is at this moment where he has unpacked the wideness and the grandness of God's grace for us. And he says this to summarize the gospel. He says, for our sake, for the sake of undeserving, and not just undeserving, but ill-deserving people. You know, we weren't just like, you know, okay people that needed to be made better, right? We were God's enemies. But for our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, what a beautiful, powerful unpacking of the, of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, that, that God the Father loved us so much that he sent Jesus and he made Jesus who had never sinned, who never knew sin, who never had any fellowship with sin, who was all good all the time from the beginning to the end. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin. Can you imagine how hard that would be for Jesus? to become sin, everything that he's against, like he's fully good all the time and on the cross he absorbed sin. He actually became sin on the cross. And God the Father poured the judgment that the sin that Jesus became, our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, God poured his anger and his wrath out upon that sin so that you and I would never have to absorb God's anger and God's wrath. But instead that we would become the righteousness of God. When God scans the earth, if we have our faith in Jesus, he looks at us and says, there's my righteousness. You're like, but, but God, did you just see how I treated my family? But God, did you see that, that moment when I, when, I, when I became so angry. God, did you see that moment when I struggled with lust? God, did you see that moment? Did you see when I judged that person? God, but did you see that? And God's saying, no, no, I already took care of that. I, I made Jesus to be that sin, and now you're my righteousness. Wow. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what the Apostle Paul is unpacking for the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, this is about being a recipient of grace and how we respond to the grace of God. This is what this is all about. And as Paul concludes this crescendo of chapter 5, he steps into chapter 6 with a little bit of a warning. So let's take a look together. He says in chapter 6, he says, working together with him, he says, then we appeal to you, we, we beg of you, we are reasoning with you, we are trying to convince you, we, we are making an appeal, don't make a mistake, don't do this wrong. He says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now this has two implications, two major implications. Number one, certainly it is for someone who does not yet know Jesus that is hearing the message of who Jesus is and what he has done. Paul is saying, we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of the message of reconciliation in vain. Don't reject it. Don't say, I'd rather be my own God than, than, than allow the God of the universe and, uh, and Jesus to be my God. I, I'd rather be my own divinity. And, and to walk away from, from that grace. What, what Paul is saying is, hey, don't receive salvation in vain. Don't, don't receive the offer of salvation in vain. And that is one major implication that certainly applies as Paul is unpacking this. But there's an additional application here. Remember, Paul is not writing to the world. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying to the Christians in Corinth, he's saying, hey, we are appealing to you. We're begging you that you don't receive all this grace that I've just unpacked for you, that you don't receive it in vain. Don't miss out on it. Don't ignore it. And he continues on 
in verse 2 by saying, for he says, he's quoting uh, Isaiah chapter 49 here. He says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. And he says, behold, now, now is the favorable time. Paul's saying, what Isaiah was talking about is now. Jesus has come and God made him to be sin so that we could become his righteousness. So, so now is the favorable time. Don't miss out on it. Don't, don't sleep it away. Don't, don't forget that this is happening and it's now. And he says, behold, now is the day of salvation. And, and you know, as followers of Jesus, I, I think it's very easy for us to think of our salvation in the, 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 the past tense, right? Like, you know, we're kind of going along through life and at some point in our life's journey, we, we recognize that, that God is God and that we are human and that there is a, a distance between us and God because of the, the evil that we've done, the sin that we've committed for the good that we haven't done. We recognize that there's a distance between us and God that there's a relational disconnect between us and God. And we recognize that and we see that Jesus is the way that we might be reconciled to God. We recognize that Jesus is the only one who could have absorbed our sin because he was fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived but did not. And he died the death on the cross that we deserved, but instead he took our place. And at some point in our, in our lives as Christians, we have had to recognize that, right? The Bible says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved, right? And so often we look at that as a moment in history. You know, it happened at this thing. You know, I, I was at a summer camp as a teenager or I was in college and I had this conversation with my, my roommate or, or, you know, this, this person who uh, I worked with invited me to church and I heard the gospel and I, and I responded and said, yes, I want to be forgiven by my creator. And we became a Christian. Our lives were, were remade. We were born again. We were made new. We were given the righteousness of God. It wasn't for us anymore that, that the offer of reconciliation was there. We actually stepped into that. And, and for those of us, we are considered saved. We are Christians. When we die, we won't be separated from God, but we'll be united with Christ. But so often we think that that salvation has happened way back then. Sometime in the past. What Paul is saying is, I don't want you to miss out on the grace of God because guess what? Today is the day of salvation. You guys have been following Jesus for a year, 5, 10, 15, 20. Well, today when you walked in this morning, you needed salvation just as much as you did then. And I don't mean we're getting resaved over and over again. That's not what I'm talking about. But Paul unpacks it by saying this, that we, we were saved, that we are saved, and that we are being saved. That there is a past, present, and future tense of our salvation. That way back when, whenever that was for us, when we met Jesus for the very first time, we were saved. But today, we are still being saved by the continual grace poured out upon us by God. And we can't just walk away and be like, well, I did the whole Jesus thing back there, so now it's just me, you know? Like, we can't do that. That we are being saved today by the grace of God. Today is still the day of salvation. We still need God's grace today. We still need his mercy today. We still need the imputed righteousness of Jesus in our lives today. Today's the day of salvation. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to miss out on that. I don't want you to miss the grace that God is extending to you. 
So that's what 2 Corinthians is all about, grace and peace to you. Today is the day of salvation. Don't miss out on it. Experience it. See, the Corinthians were frustrated. They thought that Paul was trying to place a bunch of rules and expectations upon them. And th- their attitude was kind of like, you know, we do us and you do you, Paul. Like, I'm going to live my life. You live yours. No judgment, right? Like, that's kind of our world, isn't it? Like, isn't that our culture? Like, especially my generation, the, the, the millennial generation. Like, we're kind of like, you know, the only intolerance that's, uh, like, we, the only thing that we, we can intolerate is intolerance, right? Like, the only thing that we are like, you know, okay, like, we can judge judgment. Like, that's the only thing that we can do, Right? And, and, and everything is just kind of like, I want to do my life, you do your life, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay as long as you're not okay with me, like, wait, I didn't say that right, I'm going to be okay as long as you're okay with me, right, like, so like, like, this is kind of the world that we live in, right, like, we really feel like, like, we don't want, we don't want anybody to tell us how to live, we don't want anybody to point us in a different direction than, than we are already going, it's offensive to us. But Paul's saying, hey, I'm trying to point you in the, in the direction that's going to land you smack dab in the middle of God's grace. Like I'm trying to point you into the direction of the experience of your salvation that you need every day on planet earth. If you wake up and you're living and breathing, you need God's grace today. And Paul is saying, hey, look, I, I don't want you to miss it. And their struggle with him, Paul begins to address in verse 3 when he says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Paul's saying we're not adding things to salvation. We're not adding things to the gospel. We're not giving you more hoops to jump through. We're not trying to make it seem like you're not, that, that, that you're okay uh, as long as you do X, Y, Z. We want you to know that, that, that you're okay because of Jesus. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin so you could be righteousness. Like Paul is saying, we're not putting any additional obstacle in your way. Just because we're instructing you as a loving father instructs a son, we're not putting obstacles in the way of God's grace for you. And in verse four, he begins to step into Uh, allowing them to see a bit into his own life and to see into his own ministry. He begins to allow the Corinthians to maybe put, put his shoes on for just a moment. Because remember, Paul is like a father to them. Like, he, he loves them, and, and, and for any of us who have had fathers, we know that sometimes, though we may have a great relationship, there are moments that create baggage along the way, right? And, and Paul is saying, hey, look, like, I know that, that there's been some baggage between us. I know that there's been some difficulty relationally between us, but I want you to understand what my heart's motivation has been as I have been living my life uh, among you and as well as, as I've been following up with you over these past couple of years. Now, let's look for a moment, just kind of for context's sake, into the life of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul was not always the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Pharisee Saul. And Pharisee Saul, he was a person who was a part of the religious elite of Judaism. Like he was the Jew of Jews. Like if you wanted to be a really good uh, Jewish person, the Apostle Paul was it. He would be the standard. And because the Apostle Paul had, or no, 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 sorry, Pharisee Saul. Let's go back. You guys are with me, right? So, uh, because Pharisee Saul, his, his heart was so zealous for his religion. 
when Christianity began, he saw Christianity and Jesus as the leader of Christianity as the enemy of Judaism. He saw it as a cult. And so he was doing everything he could out of that zeal to stop the cult of Christianity from moving forward. So, the, so Pharisee Saul is moving towards this city called Damascus after stoning the first martyr Stephen to death. He is moving towards the city, uh, Damascus. He's got papers in his hands that give him permission to throw uh, men and women into prison who are following after Jesus. And he's after persecuting the church, and he's on that mission. But then something happens. Jesus Christ, risen, resurrected, glorified, stands in the way of Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul is blinded, immediately face down on the ground, Who are you, Lord, Saul says. Jesus says, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. Could you imagine being Saul in that moment? Oops. (laughs) You know, time to change teams, you know, like. So immediately Saul, he becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Jesus. I mean, how can you not? How can you not at that moment? Like, you're like, oh, this guy was legit, okay? Like, too legit to quit, you know? And so, so Jesus is standing there and he's saying, hey, I'm actually gonna use you. I'm gonna use you now to be you who are the Pharisee Saul, the greatest opponent of Christianity. I'm gonna make you the greatest proponent for Christianity the world has ever seen. I'm gonna send you on mission all over the world and the gospel is gonna spread through you. So Saul is uh, blinded. Uh, he is uh, awaiting uh, what, what life was going to become like. And, and Jesus taps on the shoulder of a guy named Ananias. He says, Ananias, I want you to go and uh, pray for Saul so that his, his, the scales would drop from his eyes so that he would begin to see again, I've got a mission for him. And Ananias is like, yo, Jesus, do you know who you're talking about? That's the guy who was killing all the Christians. I'm gonna keep my distance, Right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 I do know what I'm talking about. I am God. And uh, that's paraphrase. That's paraphrase. And uh, it's the NJT, the new Joel translation. Uh, do not read it. It's a bad idea. So, so Jesus says, hey, I want you to go and pray for Saul because I'm showing him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ouch imagine that's the first three days of your Christian life? Like, Jesus, persecution, three days. Like, I'm just like having visions of persecution for three days. Like, that's literally what Jesus is saying to Ananias, that I'm showing him right now in his blindness how much he's going to suffer for my name. So Ananias goes and prays uh, for Saul, who, who becomes Paul. The scales drop from his eyes. He can see, and it begins the journey for Paul to become the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, the greatest proponent of Christianity the world has ever seen, but it wasn't without some really difficult circumstances. And here's why. Because the world that we live in, just because God is reconciling the world to himself and not counting our sins against us, just because God is in the process of reconciliation doesn't mean that everything is all right. It doesn't mean that everything is reconciled. It doesn't mean that that all sin has ceased to be. 
Because in the process of reconciling men and women to uh, himself, God is bearing with and patient with all of our sinful struggles that we are walking out and living out on planet Earth. I mean, it just takes a cursory uh, uh, blink at our last two weeks here in Orlando to know that we are living in a broken and fallen and difficult world. And sin is rampant. It's all over. It's outside our home. It's inside our home. It's in others. It's in us. But God is reconciling us to himself, saying, hey, I don't want to count those sins against you. I want to reconcile you to me instead. But in the process of that, we are living in a fallen and broken world. So as followers of Jesus, we know we're going to encounter the sin that is in us and around us and all over. We recognize that, that what Paul says later on, that, that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution, will suffer difficulty in this life. So what Paul is about to step into with the Corinthians is to say this. When you Corinthians, when we Mosaic, respond to the grace of God and respond to salvation and, and say yes to God's plan for our lives, it doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but the good news is God's grace will be ever-present and available to you every single step of the way. See, he starts chapter 6, verse 1 by saying, working together with him, right? This isn't, the Christian life isn't something we just do on our own. So Paul continues on, in verse 4, and he says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now that sounds a little bit strange. It sounds like maybe he's about to kind of boast and be a little bit prideful. But remember, he said that this isn't just about him. We're working together with God. And remember that he's trying to help the Corinthians understand what life ought to look like when we respond to God's grace in our lives. And Paul's saying, I want to be open and vulnerable with you, and I want you to see into my life and into the struggles that I've had. And I want you to see what working together with him looks like. And so I want to commend myself to you. I want to give my life to you as an example. And he says, we want to commend ourselves in every way. And this is how we live, responding to the grace of God. He says, by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, calamities, Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. I don't know about you, but I don't look at that list and think hashtag blessed, do you? <laughs> like when I look at that list, I say, wow. I mean, this Christian life thing is no joke. This life of response to God's grace is no joke. I mean, yeah, this, this grace is wide and it's amazing and God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we would be, be his righteousness. But man, that's a tough list. And Paul is opening up to the Corinthians saying, hey man, let me be honest, like this life is not easy. Being vulnerable with you for my life, for Joel's life, personally, I would say this has been one of the toughest years I've ever experienced, personally. We've got all kinds of stuff going on in our personal lives, our, our, our home life, like our house, literally. Like I've had like fences fall down and cars stolen and air conditioners break. I mean, like crazy. 
my family's life. My mom fell, broke her femur, got admitted to a, a skilled nursing facility. Her mom had to be in a nursing home because of that. Because of that, uh, her mom, my grandma, her health degraded. She just passed away last week. Like we have had a rough, like this has been a rough year. And on top of that, so this is my, my poor mom. She's had even rougher of a year. And she's a saint. Like that woman is like Jesus. And it's like, okay, Kaufman right there. <laughs> I mean, she's a saint. And she falls, breaks her femur. She's in a nursing home. She's like doing rehab. Her mom goes into a nursing home. She's distraught over it. Um, and uh, my mom gets out of the nursing home. She finally gets back home and kind of settled in life again. And she's got her dog out in the backyard with her. This dog, this dog is pathetic. It's a, uh, it's a toy poodle. Should be called a cat, not a dog. Just, just call it what it is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so some of you guys are like, I have a toy poodle. Uh, <laughs> It's okay. It's, everybody needs somebody to love. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so my mom has this toy poodle. His name's Oreo, and uh, it was a rescue dog. And so he has all kinds of issues, bites little children. You know, like, <laughs> seriously, bad dog. And, um, but, like, my mom loves this dog, right? And this dog loves my mom. Like, this dog is, like, insanely in love with my mom. And uh, my mom's home. She's been missing this dog. I mean, seriously, it's, like, it's, a, it's, it's special, but my mom is home, and, and, and the dog's in the backyard, and she kind of lets him off the leash because uh, he always stays around her. Uh, but then my mom's friend is pulling up the driveway, and the dog gets excited and runs and just runs right into the car. Like, like my mom just sees this dog. Like, my mom, this is poor, my poor mother, like, she's so amazing. And, and, and like, life, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, life can be hard. Like, life can be even, like, crazier. Like, we can lose spouses, we can have cancer, we can, we can be raped. Like, like, life is really hard. Like, following Jesus is really hard in the midst of a broken world. Like, this world is messed up, guys. It really is. And Paul is saying, man, you know, following after Jesus isn't some sort of cakewalk. Like, listen to that list. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. But because Paul is responding to God's grace, listen to how he deals with all of that. He says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, remember, we're the righteousness of God, for the right hand and for the left, <laughs> through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, it didn't matter, we're treated as imposters, and yet we're true. As unknown, yet well-known by God. As dying, and yet behold, we live, we have eternal life in Jesus. As punished, and yet not killed, we deserve death. As sorrowful, yet rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we would become the righteousness of God. What more do we need? Paul's saying, yeah, life is hard. It's difficult. It's really rough. But when we live our lives in response to the grace of God, it doesn't matter what people around us do or say. It doesn't matter when people around us, whether or not they, they hold us in honor or in dishonor. It doesn't matter if we're well spoken of or slandered. It doesn't matter if we're treated well or mistreated. Why? Because God has treated us far better than we would ever deserve by dispensing his grace upon us. And so, the way that we respond to this difficult life can be, how? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, 
genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, weapons of righteousness in the left hand and in the right. See, we are, we are not constrained to respond to our circumstances like people who don't know God. See, if you're here and you don't know God, your circumstances are all you have. There's nothing else. And how you respond to that is, man, it's just how good of a human you are. And maybe you trust in that, but man, I've been living life long enough to know not to trust in that. But when we respond to God's grace, all of these circumstances, they begin to lose a little bit of their sting. Because we know that this life is not all we have. I mean, did you hear Paul? He's saying like, yeah, it's like we're, 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 we're what does he say? And this is really good. Um, <clears throat> It's really good. He says, uh, as well, uh, yeah, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, right? Like he recognizes, like, like it, it's, this life is just a little bit temporary, and we've got so much more, and, and because of God's grace, I mean, it totally, absolutely frees us up to live completely different responses to our circumstances. Like we sang about this morning, in all our victory, Jesus is better, in all our sorrows, Jesus is better. God, make my heart believe. And that's kind of where he goes next. Verse 11, he says, we have spoken freely to you. Corinthians, our heart is wide open. He says, you are not restricted by us. You know, one of the complaints that the Corinthians had is that Paul was was uh, asserting his influence too strongly, that, 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 that they felt constrained by, by him instructing them how to live life. And Paul is saying, you know, look, we've just tried to live our lives as a demonstration to you of what it looks like to respond to God's grace. We're not trying to restrict you. Not, we're not putting a stumbling block in front of you. Like, like, we're just opening our lives to you. We're opening ourselves to you. We're speaking freely to you. Our heart is wide open And then he says this, he says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. When I first read that, I had to think about that, and I'm like, Paul, what do you mean by that? But as I evaluate my life, and as I've continued to to work through this this week, this, this verse really has become extremely convicting to me. Because when I look at my 2016, and I recognize that I, I've experienced some really rough stuff. People close to me have experienced some really, really rough stuff. Life has been difficult. Things are going on in our city. Man, I, like, I, I look at that and I think, man, just when I evaluate my 2016, it's been tough. But you know, when I evaluate my response to all of this, when I really think, like, how do I, how do I react in these moments? Like, what... What do I do to deal with these things? How do I cope? How do I, ex- how do I experience all of this stuff? How do, I, how do I respond? Well, if I'm honest, I kind of respond by figuring out a way to retreat into myself. Like I respond by figuring out a way to make myself feel better. Things are going difficult, man, I just make myself feel better somehow. If that means I have to just distract myself, then wow, you know, our culture's got only 100 billion distractions just waiting for us. They're in our phones, they're on our TVs, they're on our computers, they're everywhere. We have a culture of distraction. And, and, and I have these mechanisms where, where I, I, I retreat. Instead of pressing in with people, like people will, 
will, you know, engage. Hey, how are you doing? I'm, you know, hey, I'm fine. Like, it's been kind of rough, but that's about it. And I, you know, I kind of keep my distance, right? You know, I, I'm, I'm struggling with all of the circumstances around me. And rather than pressing into God's grace, I just kind of press in to, to what makes me feel good in, in whatever moment that I have. Whatever's going to alleviate the pressure. And that's the tendency. That's what's natural. Like that, that's what's normal. And that's my temptation. And I'm limited by those affections. See, those, those things, what, what, what start as just ways to cope, they grow into things that, that we call idols. Those, those things that we kind of just start and say, well, I'm just going to kind of deal with my, my, my stress in this way. Those things begin to build up into habits that become idols for us. And rather than running into God's grace, we run to whatever it is that's making us feel better in any given moment. That's an idol. And my, my life is limited by my idols and by my affections. Because God is calling me into this wide world of grace. He's calling me into the ministry of reconciliation to partner with him to see the gospel unfold in my life and in the life of people around me. But instead, I'm just kind of just kind of coping. I'm just kind of finding my own way to figure life out. My response is to kind of just develop my own affections rather than to press in to the one that should be the primary, most glorious and most beautiful affection, the only one who came to seek and save me. So a quote by C.S. Lewis I want to share with you. It's, um, it's in a book that he wrote called The Weight of Glory. And, you know, I think a lot of times we, um, we feel like, you know, we have these kind of things that we run to and, and over time they become habits and then over time they become idols and then those idols become uh, imprisoning to us, right? Like they're, they're the things that we, we don't feel like, like we can get away from. We run to these things and we, we start to feel trapped, Right? Like for, for anyone who's ever struggled with any kind of addiction, you know what that's like, right? Like you run to, to those things, you feel trapped, you feel like, man, my desire for this thing now has become so strong. Like my desire for, for this coping mechanism has become so strong. Like, like life is crazy, life is busy, life is hard, and I gotta find a way to cope, and now I can't stop. I'm so, I'm so addicted to this thing. I'm so connected to this thing. I can't give it up, I can't let it go. We feel like our affections are so strong for our idols. But C.S. Lewis says this, and it's so, I think, mind-blowing. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. <laughs> man, and, and you know, as I've been jumping into this text this week, man, it has been for me, it has been a conviction. Like, 
oh God, I'm far too easily, please, I'm far too easily soothed. (laughs) I'm far too easily distracted. Like, these affections, I know they limit me. Like, I know, like, it's so easy for me to run to these things. Like, you know, things are difficult, grab the cell phone, Twitter, you know, like, like, things are difficult, like, engage in Netflix, let's binge a whole season of something, you know, like, like, things are, things are a struggle, man, I, I'm just going to go to these affections, I'm just going to go here, and all the while, God is saying, I have grace for you, so much grace for you, and it is like, it is in your face, like, it is pouring out to you, I've, I've done everything, I sent my only son, like, how much more am I, am I able to do for you, like, but you're going to this other thing. And so Paul says, you know, you're not restricted by us, you're restricted by your own affections. And then he closes out by saying this, almost begging, pleading. He says, in return, I, I speak as to children, like the, the child with the mud pie, right? He says, in return, I speak as to children, widen your heart also. <laughs> man, widen your heart. You know what I love about this? He doesn't say, um, hey, so like uh, you're too far easily pleased with your own affections. You're, you're restricted by your own affections. So here's what I want you to do. Instead of running to those other things, I want you to work really hard to quit doing that. And I want you to work really hard to start doing really good things. I want you to read the Bible more and pray more. And I want you to sing more worship songs. I want you to go to more church and volunteer more. I want you to do everything you can. I want you to jump as high as you can. And I want you to to jump through as many hoops as you can because you're too restricted by your affections. So what you need to do is try harder. No, (laughs) none of that. The grace of God has already been extended to you. Just widen your heart to it. Just widen your heart. Your affections... Your, your heart is open to this tiny little thing over here. I got my little affections, Twitter, angry birds, you know, like my own little hissy fit that I had with my spouse, like uh, my promotion, yay. <laughs> Widen your heart to the grace of God poured out to you in the gospel that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Man, widen your heart to that. And it will change everything you do. It'll change the way you respond to every situation. It'll change the way you interact in your victory. And it'll change the way that you interact in your sorrow. See, the grace of God in the gospel is the way that we transcend our life's circumstances. And we don't have to be captivated by those things. We can widen our hearts to the truer and better satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, help us. God, help us to widen our hearts to you. I know for me it is just so easy in the mundane, in the everyday, in the midst of pleasure, in the midst of pain, it's so easy to just kind of do life the way that I think it needs to be done in any moment and not even consider who you are and what you've done. 
I know that when we're in a space like this at church, we've just sang worship songs, we've opened up the scripture together, it's easy for us to, to sense the need for us to widen our hearts to your grace. And yet when we, when we leave out of here, there's responsibilities waiting for us and Monday is coming. And I pray that you would, you would help us, God, that, that, that we would be men and women who would just widen our hearts to your love and grace. That we would recognize that we've been far too easily pleased and that's why it's so difficult for us so often god i pray that you would help us mosaic church those of us who are following after you jesus god i i pray that you would help us to not miss the grace of god and god i pray for those who are here who have not yet met you jesus any person here who doesn't know you as their savior, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them today in such a way that they would have an opportunity to respond to your grace. And I pray, God, that they would not receive this grace in vain. I pray, God, that, that, that every person here who doesn't know you yet, Jesus, I pray that they would come to you, that they would confess their sin to you, and that they would ask you to become their righteousness. And God, for those of us who know you, God, help us. Help us to not think that, that grace was received way back when, and now it's up to us to figure it out, to make it work, to cope. Help us to see that today is the day of salvation. It's the day of grace, that we need you as much today as we did when we first met you, and that we'll need you as much tomorrow as we do today. God, help us to widen our hearts to your love, to your grace, to your mercy in the gospel. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.